Hello and welcome to the Business of Authority. I'm Jonathan Stark. And I'm Rochelle Moulton. And today we're going to talk about selling services. Hmm. As opposed to? A lamp or a Ferrari or a table. You know, the physical objects are really easy to picture. They're tangible. They have a, a smell and a feel and a sound. You know, they're really easy to experience. Uh, before you know, before you buy them, you can say, "Oh, that lamp is twenty-five dollars, and that seems worth it based on what I'm seeing here. <laughs> uh, this is the right size and shape for what I'm looking for." Where services, which is what probably everybody listening to this sells, is is basically you're you're selling a promise of a future outcome, and you know this sort of like squishy, intangible, you know, like wait a minute, what do you do? Kind of thing. So we wanted to talk today about a couple of different points that are you know, specific to selling services to keep in mind uh, to be more effective as you, you know, try and ramp up sales efforts. Yeah, it's like we're selling air. Yeah. You know, sometimes that's what it feels like. Right. And I, when we were talking about this pre-show, it, was, it occurred to me how much work I do with people uh, in coaching to clarify their messaging like because the messages mm. that they're put when I say message I mean you know like the words on your website your copywriting what you put on your LinkedIn bio or your profile it's has a tendency people have a tendency to focus on their ingredients and their resume and all of the uh, superpowers they have and it's all me 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 or we 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 and they don't talk that much about the other person you know, the buyer, mm-hmm. the potential buyer, the prospect, or the people in the, the ideal buyers, the target market. And the, those words that I'm helping people craft and, you know, kind of flip it around to the other side, those words are what you need to use to make what you do more tangible. So using, you know, f- sort of physical metaphors is a great, I try and do that all the time, I, you know, like campfire marketing and t-shirt marketing and, you know, to, to create these visuals in people's head, even though the thing that we're going to do is completely a thought it's almost like a thought experiment that we wrote down and like okay here's here's the new thing that we invented um and you know when when we talk about it i usually talk about it in terms of positioning or you know copywriting but really what we're doing is trying to take something that's really intangible to to make it feel tangible to someone who's not an expert at what you do uh, but but probably needs what you do so for that person Mm -hmm. who needs what you do or could stand to benefit from what you do how do you talk about it in a way that's going to make it really tangible to them? It's a, it's a, the, probably the bulk of work I do with people you, just to get their, you know, I, they come to me for pricing help, but we have to do that first. Well, yeah. And, and I think I always think of it as features versus benefits, mm-hmm. right? So like features are the ingredients that you mentioned. Yeah, exactly. I'm a lawyer. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, what does that mean to me? And the, the, Um, The benefits or the outcomes are the things that can help make it more tangible, especially if you can put yourself in the client's shoes and speak to them. So Mm -hmm. you are at this point in your business where this is happening and, you know, you can do it as pain points or you can do it as, um, you know, the dream that you're working towards, the dream outcome. Yep. Yeah, so I usually call it the, they either have an expensive problem or they want to capture a big opportunity that they see. There's some gap there, the transition, because ultimately what you're going to try and do is help them on this journey from point A to point B. So what's the, mm-hmm. what is either the problem or the opportunity that they 
have, there's some kind of obstacle that's preventing them from getting to point B. So they're, for whatever reason, they believe that you might have a potential solution to that. So a conversation starts and the language that you use, whether it's on your website or in your social media or in your email marketing or on the sales call, if I didn't say that already, uh, all of those things are intended to make it more tangible so that they can be like, oh, I get it. Yes. I definitely have had lots of people, uh, or, you know, when I was, <laughs> when I stunk at this stuff, you know, back when, <laughs> way back when, the way that I, I really, I can look back and I can see what works. My website was a typical kind of like me, 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 me. Or I would just talk about, you know, the massive opportunity in mobile, which was probably better. It was more effective because early adopters who were my best clients, they saw the opportunity too. So at least I was talking about something that they were aware of. Um, but the thing that made it really tangible when I was selling services was that I would I was doing speaking engagements all the time. So it, it felt real. They knew what it was like. You could get the feel of what it would be like to work with me because there I was. And right. there was my attitude, personality, worldview, demeanor, sense of humor, uh, all of that stuff. It was on display. So it was really easy for people to who, who thought that I was not the kind of person they wanted to work with to not come up to me. <laughs> and for the people who were like, this, this, we need this guy. This is the guy we need. Yeah. Because they can, you know, uh, they felt like they're like, we need that. What, you know, and they could, I'm pointing at the past me we need that in to come into our conference room and tell us this stuff or say say it to the board or whatever or help us with the you know the design this new uh, html system that we're trying to put together that is the beauty of speaking when yeah. you think about it as as if, if you do it well and you can incorporate selling in that selling being making things tangible for people mm -hmm. it's amazing because it's a 3d experience right yeah it's like a it's like a it's like a sample consulting engagement, you know, it's like a group coaching consulting thing, but it does, yeah. it just makes it real. Mm -hmm. So, you know, these days I really, I, it's the climate and the landscape of the technology and people's expectations have really, really changed in the past, you know, 10, 20 years where, uh, phone calls and video calls and, and webinars and things like that. I mean, they, of course, those things existed to a certain extent, even back then, you know, teleconferencing was a thing, but, <laughs> but it's, it just seems so much more accepted now where, you know, uh, or in podcasts, I left out podcasting. Uh, so yeah. all of those things, I think help make it give, they give the potential buyer or the ideal buyer or someone in the target market they give a sense of what it would be like to work with you and like what the outcomes potentially could be. And it just starts to feel realer. Like they have a sense of it. It's like, uh, honestly, just when we get to the brand alignment thing, that's podcasting. That has a huge, huge, that a big light bulb just went on for me with that. But anyway, yeah. the, um, the goal of all of the words, like words is what sells stuff. It's words like imagery is important too, but words, you take the words away, you're not selling anything. So really what, what we're talking about here on this first point is that the idea is you need to take this thing that you sell that's intangible and using words and to largely, mostly words, I would say, you need to make the thing seem more tangible. Well, I, I'm going to, 
I'm I know you're going to say colors. Agree. And, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it, image, images are important. You know, a picture, you know, tells a thousand words. So uh, the words are absolutely important. I spend a lot of time crafting words. Um, but images can help you cement the words. Yeah, no argument there. Yeah, that's how I would say it. The pictures alone are not going to do it. Words alone can do it if your people are readers. But mm. if they prefer video, the words alone are not going to do it. Mm. Um, and for some people, the, the text. image... Yeah, text, yeah. yeah. The, the image is going to arrest them. That's what's going to stop and make them read the copy. Again, it depends on your audience. I mean, if you're, uh, you know, a heavily Fortune 500, C-suite, super specialized person, the images may not be all that important other than they have to sort of correspond with what they expect. Mm -hmm. um, but if you're, uh, if you're making your living from aligning words and images, then you've got to use images. So it's, it goes with your brand, I think. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I definitely agree with that. I think the words, maybe the, maybe the the words, the text, I don't just mean text. I mean, you know, any kind of language. So whether you're speaking um, right. audio right. Or on a video or it's just written on a website or something, it's um, when it comes time to sell, it's it's words. Like, it, yeah, and the, all of that other stuff is totally important. And, you know, if you're an interior yeah. designer, you're going to have photos. You know, people are going to want to know, or an artist, people are going to you know, want to see pictures of the art before they buy it. But um, yeah, but if you have all that and the person's like a total dork and you, you can't stand them, <laughs> the pictures are not going to sell. Right. Yeah. So whatever, I mean, let's text words, uh, images aside, the whole the whole exercise is to make this sort of intangible promise of a future outcome tangible. Okay. Beaten to death. So. Yes. <laughs> We came close. The horse is still alive, but yes, yes, he's tired. <laughs> so the next thing I wanted to talk about um, is something that uh, we will. Rochelle recommended this book called Selling the Invisible, which is really good. Nice short little book. Uh, took about an hour and a half to read it, and and the author Harry, Harry Beckwith. Harry yeah, Beckwith. Harry Beckwith. He had this great point about you know good enough is good enough. And this is news to no one, I suppose, but he, he had it all revolving around this idea of uh, this idea that good enough was good enough. It had like a perfectionism angle and, you know, perfectionism is kind of like procrastination or um, trying to. So a lot of people who are experts, a lot of people listening to this are experts. They uh, for a long time focused on getting better at their skills or their craft or whatever the the internals of their chosen profession are and that gets you to a certain point um, but once you're once you're at that I mean once you're at a point of mastery or at least really high level of competence it's kind of good enough when it comes to selling because this the the you know it's kind of an 80 20 rule where if you get once mm -hmm. you're really good uh, getting great becoming like world-class number one in the world like the michael jordan or whoever is a lot more work <laughs> you know it's like <laughs> and it might be a good investment of your time or it might be a, a better investment of your time to uh, connect to to foster the relationships with your clients and your prospects and spend your time there instead of getting better you know instead of going out to the woodshed and sharpening your already very sharp saw some more go out and connect with your potential market more that, and that can, you know, 
I'm not saying like one's definitely right or one's definitely wrong, but there it does. I notice this a lot with de- software developers who've been doing it for like 10, 15 years, maybe longer, where they feel like I just need to learn the new framework, or if I could just get a little bit better at Rails, or you know, mm-hmm. oh Node, there's a new Node, whatever, whatever, insert shiny object, and they think that getting better at that is going to automatically translate into business success of some kind. Technical does not necessarily translate to business success or selling success. Right. And now here's, and I brought up the book because he made a really cool point. It was really, and it mapped to my experience completely, which is that, you know, you're, you're an expert at thing, say it's developing websites. You're an expert at that. Your customers are not even qualified to tell the difference between how good you are and how good the next person is. Yes, that would be me. <laughs> I would not be able to tell the difference on who was better technically. Right, right. So like, so like saying, oh, I'm, you know, talking, pointing at yourself and saying, well, like, no, I've got more years doing this technology or I'm on the, I'm a, you know, I don't know, I'm on the core team and con- contributing to the code or who knows what. I've got all these certifications. At a certain point, they're like, look, I believe you're competent. It, you know, it, it's fine. You know, and the, but the thing that they'll, uh, used to judge the or to make the purchase decision is going to be more about your personality and whether or not you click than how amazing you are with Elixir because they can't tell the difference anyway. So why talk about that? You know, like it, that's kind of the same same thing. It's like it's like at a certain point, like you have to be good at what you do. I'm assuming everyone listening to this is good at what they do. At a certain point it's just noise to the client and and focusing on how great you are or like the ingredients in your medicine is not going to do anything for your business and you need to start thinking about the benefits to the customer so like like the front of the medicine bottle instead of the back of the medicine bottle because that's what they're looking at and in the case of an intangible service oriented kind of uh, sale it's the relationship it's their experience of interacting with you that is going to be the thing that they judge I just had this small aha moment as I was listening to that. And what hit me is imposter syndrome. Mm. I'm thinking, I've worked with people who have told me that they believe they have imposter syndrome. And they're really good at what they do. But what it is, is I think, is that they're comparing themselves to this hypothetical, super technical person. And sometimes it's really a hypothetical. Other times they see somebody out in the media and you go, oh, well, I, I'm not as good as they are. And there's this imposter syndrome. And what I've always done is to encourage them to double down on what they're really good at. And to your point, getting that extra little bit of technical knowledge about something probably isn't going to make a difference in how much you sell and how well you uh, serve your clients. But if you can take that, take your special sauce, which might be this great personality you have or the way you work them through this process or the way you interact with them and the client teams, how you make every person on a team feel like they're part of it versus, you know, you're a mini Hitler directing people to do this and that and the other thing. So it's that it might just be a way to get oneself out of this imposter syndrome. Mm, Yeah, that's very, that's a good insight. So if you're, I, I can, I can feel people being like, that's not true. You know, <laughs> think of it like this. 
like if you've ever been to a doctor that had a terrible bedside manner versus a doctor who had an amazing bedside manner, you don't know which doctor was better, like in a in a medicine right. sense. Right. But you do know which one you want to go back to and which one you don't. Yeah. And you you know is bedside manner part of their um, core technical skills? Probably should be you know considered that way, but it's not. It's not well, part of your skeleton well, or whatever you know. Well, I just make one. Um, distinction, which is generally speaking, bedside manner is more important to us, the patients. Maybe the exception is the brain surgeon or like a pediatric neurosurgeon, like a hyper specialized person where you're like, you know what, this is a once in a lifetime thing. I need quote unquote the best. Um, and again, there's no one best, but there's there might be 10 in the world, right? Yes. And so then you say, I don't care about bedside manner. I care about who's going to be the best technician in the operating room. So that happens. But it's such a small slice yeah. of all the clients out there looking for projects. So, yeah, if you're a pediatric neurosurgeon, oh, you know, go to town. That just broke but my it, heart, actually. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, I mean, it's, you know, I've worked with, um, in, in my long past, I've worked with, um uh, high specialty doctors and it's in surgeons especially and it's fascinating and so if you have a lousy bedside manner you can usually hire someone to be the bedside manner to take care of the patient so that you don't have to do that you can focus on your craft and the same is true of of all sorts of technical specialties if you're in this very very narrow place but 98 99 percent of us are not in that place yeah, and I, I think we alluded to that earlier where it's like it might be the right thing to do to go that extra mile in your technical skills. And that's a great example where you you are going to compete at the world level. Like you want to be one of the top three, say, people in the world for whatever it is that you do. And that's that can totally work, but that's a different mm -hmm. path. And it's very specific. You know, it's like, if yeah, okay, if you want to do that, then, then that, that can work. But yeah. it's not necessary. It's definitely not the only way. I guess that's the big point. And it's yes. probably not even the most. It's I would venture a guess that it's not even anywhere close to the most common way. It can't be. The, mm -hmm. It can't be the most common way. But it can like, be an excuse. Definition. You can use that as an excuse to not get better at other things. Exactly. So and then you, know, you don't want to do that. Right. It's like make an intentional choice of like, no, I just love SVG and I'm going to be on the W3C, you know, to on the on the guiding the steering committee for SVG and okay. And then anybody in the world's like, Hey, we need an SVG expert. They're going to be like, Oh, there's your gal. Um, but if that's not really what you want to do, or that feels like, you know, 20 years away, <laughs> then you're like, yeah, <laughs> you don't need to be the world's best at the thing. But you just like, you right. know, work on your bedside manner probably is a, a lot quicker path to where you want to go. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so that was the second point where we talk about the your customer's experience of of how good you are is going to a lot of times just boil down to your treatment of them and what the relationship is like, not the actual nuts and bolts of what you're doing. Yeah, it's how you make them feel. Yeah, hundred percent. They're going to judge and, the success or failure of very much on that. Yeah, and and a lot of that how you make them feel is about trust and not just trust that they can trust you to do the right thing but if you're doing a lot of execution work it's trust that you're going to do it that it's going to be on time um, within budget if that's you know part of the of the deal but it's that trust that they can just leave you to go do your thing to go do your magic 
and and it will be fine. You're not mm-hmm. going to blow up their world. <laughs> yes. Well, speaking of trust, we can segue right into bullet point number three, <laughs> which was about brand alignment, which I know is one of your favorite subjects. It is. It is. So so rather than use like brand alignment, sounds like you know I know it sounds like marketing speak, but what we're really talking about is aligning everything that you do and we're talking about selling but everything that you do with who you are and how you deliver these transformations so it's a it's a way of giving your client and potential clients a taste of the experience yes so if they you know that i think uh the example you gave before you started the show is great it's like if someone's on your website they're a stranger and you're a soloist or you run a small firm and they're on your website and it's giving their, they're getting an impression. They're getting tons of first impressions, your name, the domain name, the colors, the headlines, the logo, all of that stuff. They're getting first impression, first impression, first, you know, and then mm-hmm. they decide to jump on a phone call with you and they're surprised by the phone call, oh, the way that you are on the phone call. That's a drag. That's bad. And it doesn't even mean, it doesn't even mean like, uh, it's not that one was right or and, and the other one was wrong. Like me, your your website was all uh, sort of prof, uh, not professional, but just kind of corporate. And then when you jumped on the sales call with them, you're wearing like a t-shirt on the video call, and you're super casual, like, "Hey, dudes," you know. Both of <laughs> either one of those can work, but they do not work together. Together, the disconnect. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I mean, that's the example the we used in in before we hit record was if Jonathan and I switched websites. Yeah. Right? It would be crazy. Yeah. <laughs> I would be so uncomfortable. We should just swap like CSS like style sheets. Yeah. <laughs> just swap style sheets and see what happens. It'd be so funny. Yeah, it's and you know when we talk brand, you know, brand is nothing more than this implied promise that you make to your sweet spot audience. But really, you know, to me, it's about stories, actions, and visuals. If you want a tangible way to think about your brand, it's the stories that you tell about the clients, about your work, um, to a lesser extent about yourself, but it's kind of that theme. It's more about the experiences and it's the actions. I mean, it's what you actually do. So everything from how you answer a phone call to whether you do, I don't know, a double space after a period. It's like all these, <laughs> yes. it's like all these little tiny, maybe that's a visual, um, but it's, um, it's all these little small things and those telegraph to anybody watching who you are and they make an assessment. Now, not that their assessment is correct, but they make an assessment. So right. if somebody doesn't like uh, bright, vivid colors, they're gonna go, Oh, Rochelle, no, I don't want to talk to her. No, no, no. And which is fine, because if they don't like that, they probably shouldn't. Right. So it's you're giving them this, this, you're sending a message, every little thing that you do. And it's, it's easy in person, because we think about the things we do, like, whether we wear glasses, or whether our hair is combed, or whether we, you know, wring our hands while we're talking, or we, you know, move our leg like we're really nervous, you know, those things. Yeah. But but when you're online, when you're digital, you're still sending signals. Mm-hmm. We all are every time. And it's like we're all we all have these little antenna and we don't even realize that the antenna is working, but we pull in impressions of people and we decide that we like them or we don't like them pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And our brains are really, really uh, fine tuned for doing that in person, but in a lot less so 
uh, with a, a web page, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, and this, so this was the point about uh, podcasting that occurred to me earlier, which is that it's. I always, I always kind of wrestle with this and, and end up just saying there's something magical about podcasting. And it's like, and I think this is a clue for me of like why it's so magic, because it's words, which I think are super important, and it is, I think, more similar to. His, the history of human communications. It's much our, our um, it's not in person, of course, and it's probably not even visual, but there's a lot of information you're getting from listening to us talk that isn't just the words, you know, all of the emphasis and excitement, and you can probably even feel me gesticulating right now, which I am. <laughs> and I, so I just, I just released an audio book version of Hourly Billing is Nuts. And when I was going back to, you know, I had to edit it and like listen through it and stuff. And I'm like, this book is way better in audio because you can hear like, I don't know. It's so much. I was like, wow, this is, this is, I mean, not to pat myself. I'm, I'm not saying it's a great book. <laughs> I'm saying in my, in my opinion, the audio book is way better than the ebook. So why do you think that is? What, because your... I think it has something to do with like how much I care about the words comes through more. Mm. So... I suppose, okay, and then there's a flip side to this, which is that if people don't like my personality, then they're going to not like the book, where they, uh, the audiobook, where they might have liked the written one. Mm-hmm. And I, I can think of authors who, who are 100% like this form. I can think of authors who I do not like listening to them, but I love their books, the written book. But is, are, is that fiction? No. Oh, Okay. I was going to argue with you, but if you you feel that way, you feel that way. No, well, I can think of people who are really smart that I don't like. Yeah, but it's like if I don't like their ideas, I'm probably not going to read their book or listen to it. No, I like the ideas. I just don't like their personality. Oh, okay. So it's the kind of like, can you separate the art from the artist concept? So so in a a text form, the personality doesn't come through nearly as much as in uh, audio form. Mm. So, I, and I think, I'm imagining that there's probably some science behind that in terms of um, our ability, just a, the human relations and like this kind of, um, the snap judgment thing about like, do I click with this person for lack of a better term? And so anyway, the, the idea of podcasting, I think is, is pretty amazing because if this would be a very different, you know, if, there, if you just read a transcript of this conversation, it's going to hit you differently and you're going to, you're going to, you're going to know a lot less about Rochelle and me. You're going to learn stuff about us, uh, you know, whatever, if it's a chuckle here or there, stuff that wouldn't come through in print. It's like the difference between um, listening to music and looking at the sheet music. I mean, it's like completely different. (laughs) Or having a phone conversation versus an email. Yeah. Right. So I'm just wondering if there's, I'm just wondering if there's a connection that kind of taps into our evolution as a species where that podcasting is leveraging where it, to create that kind of ambient intimacy that, um, yeah, that, that yeah. you just don't get in email, let's say. Well, it's interesting is that, you know, if you sort of picture the cavemen sitting around a fire telling stories, right. And, mm-hmm. and you tell stories, you're listening. Yes, you see them, but they're, they're in front of you versus when you're watching a video, you know, they're not in front of you. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't feel that immediacy, but there's something about, at least for me, about listening to a podcast where I'm in another little world. 
Yeah. It may just be because I have the headphones. I now I'm now listening to audiobooks when I do my power walk in the morning. <laughs> And, um, it's, yeah, it's like, sometimes like people will pass me and I'm like, Oh, Oh, sorry. Hi. (laughs) After, after I'm 20 feet past them. It's, um, yeah, there's, there's something about that. Yeah. They transport you. Yeah. It's like virtual reality for your ears. Yeah. So the, another point here that I feel like is tied in is I feel like it's much easier to be out of alignment in like say you're on your website. So like the experience of working with Alice is one thing and uh, Alice's website projects something is, is out of alignment with the actual experience of working with Alice. I feel like that's pretty common disconnect. Mm-hmm. Like I, I work with people yes. all the time who have this disconnect between their personality and the personality that's coming through on the website. But a podcast I feel or any kind of audio format, I feel like it's really hard for that disconnect to be there. You'd have to be really bad or nervous or something to to have that disconnect. It's just so hard to not be yourself when you're talking. Or maybe that's just me because I'm talking all the time. Maybe that's just me. But Yeah, I think it's the, the challenge I've seen with um, first-time podcasters, myself included, is those first few episodes. I, in a few, I don't know if it's a handful or two handfuls, there is this... Um, I'm podcasting. Uh, well, yeah. It, well, especially with guests, you know, where it feels like you really want to be over prepared, and it feels more formal. But that falls away. Mm-hmm. And it it does. And so, you know, the advice is just keep going, just keep doing it, and it'll fall away. So I think there's an awkwardness, or at least you know there can be. Not everybody, but lots of people are kind of born to it. But there can be that awkwardness in the beginning. But once you realize that you're doing this for the audience, and the audience is what matters, you lose the self consciousness and all that stuff because you realize that that doesn't matter right. what matters is what you're trying to convey to your audience mm-hmm. that's what matters yeah you can go back to almost any go back to any business episode one of any business podcast and you're gonna hear like <laughs> a, a lot stiffer uh, version of the person please but, forgive me for episodes one through whatever <laughs> <laughs> but it's true that it um, that's really just like getting your sea legs kind of thing it's not you know yeah, yeah. so that yeah. like you said that sort of like stiff awkward kind of feel almost everybody has it and once but it goes away very very quickly and all of a sudden it's just like oh the anyway i'm just kind of like no but i want to i want to i want to piggyback on that though because i think that same feeling is what happens when you even think about changing up your website to align better with who you are because it's that oh but i have to have this corporate speak and I have to say, you know, we for everything, even though it's just me. And so that like that shift to that is really a challenge. And there's a transitional period, just like with podcasting, where it takes a while to get used to saying things in you know a normal way. <laughs> and 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 the same is true of, of blogging. Yep. Right. When you first start blogging, it's, you know, even if you've got a, you know what your big idea is, you you got a handful of of key messages and you maybe have a handful of themes you're going to write about, you're still finding your voice. So it takes a while to get there, to get your sea legs. Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. So, so what are we saying here? So this is to pull back. Wh- why are we talking about this uh, alignment uh, across whatever marketing channels that you're active in? It comes back to making this the service that you sell and the uh, make it more tangible. And to start to build, even though it's um, 
you know, the podcasting or blogging or email list, even though it's one way, you're starting to build a relationship with the person and they're getting, hopefully they're getting a, an aligned, authentic experience of what you're really like, because then the first impression is going to match with uh, the phone call or whatever the first actual meeting is. It's going to line up. So it's not going to be this cognitive dissonance like needle off the yes. record. I thought you were going to be a little bit more chill or I thought you were going to be a little bit more professional or whatever corporate. And, you know, the idea here is that all of those things are going to make it easier for you to sell, you know, sell stuff sell. if you want to look at it like that. I mean, that's the title of the episode. But really selling stuff to me is is like connecting with people who stand to benefit from the stuff that you provide. You know, it's like, hey, I've got medicine, got a headache. Nope. Okay, then I'm not going to bug you. But if you do have a headache, then maybe you want to try some of this. Well, it's also it, it's also a, a good use of your time. It's, it's, it's a productivity enhancer, if you think about it that way. Because when you really get good at this, when you're really aligned with who you are, the experience you give your clients, the transformation you're making, and everything that you do, stories, actions, and visuals, what happens is people who are not good fits for you go away. Right. You, they, you don't spend time on calls with them. They're not reading your stuff. And sometimes that's a little scary if you've, you know, kind of pivoted or you've repositioned and your readership goes down, but it will go back up assuming that you're, you're on target. And so you're repelling the bad fits as at the same time that you're attracting the really good fits. And if you ever struggle with wondering why you just spent an hour on the phone with somebody, this will help you. Yeah, exactly. Right. It's like, this is that, this is a way, just be yourself all the time and you're going to get more better clients and less, you know, it's like red flag repellent. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Can't a raid. <laughs> right. That was my visual. All right. Would we leave any stone unturned here? I think we, uh, I think we kind of hit that. I mean, I, I think, you know, we've talked before that selling isn't a dirty word and really what we're talking about here is that the more in alignment you are with everything that you're doing along with the marketing, which is kind of saying what you're doing, then the easier selling will be, the less it feels like selling and the more it feels like actually serving your sweet spot audience. Perfect. All right. Okay. Couldn't have said it better myself. I'm also, my landscaper's just pulled up, so we better wrap. <laughs> okay. I hear you. All right. That's it for this week. I'm Jonathan Stark. And I'm Michelle Moulton. And we hope you join us again next time for the Business of Authority. Bye. Bye-bye.